BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Where they're like, that really gave me a boner, if you know what I mean. You know, (laughs) that type of thing. It's like, not really a double entendre, man. Welcome to Gold Diamonds of Death, a James Bond podcast. I am your double O host, Jonathan Watkins. I am a writer for all things under the Cinema Sense brand name and a co-host of Behind the Sense podcast. Joining me each and every week for this endeavor is the man that some people call the Robert Shaw of podcasting. Mm-hmm. He's the co-founder mm-hmm. of Cinema Sense, co-host of the weekly podcast Recotopia. Mm-hmm. One of my good friends, Mr. Chris Atkinson. How are you doing, my friend? Hello, I am doing all right. Yes, doing well. Are you... Um, after after watching this movie, we're going to talk about we're going to be talking about from from Russia with love, uh, obviously because it's the it's the second James Bond film, second Connery film, and um, I was just curious, have you ever ridden a train? Yes, yes, I have. Because I don't think I have, like I, at least not overnight. Like I took a train from Chicago to like a casino one time. Mm-hmm. I guess that counts. But like was uh, France to Spain, I took a train. Oh wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. So did you actually have like a like a cabin? Yeah. Or did you have was, to just it was me and uh like two, maybe three uh, well, it was probably two other people because it was the it was that it was a senior trip in high school. So mm-hmm. so it was it was me and a couple other people. I don't think I slept very well during that whole thing, but it was an overnight train trip from France to Spain. So. Yeah, like I was thinking about like sharing one of those compartments with like my wife and daughter and just being like, I'd, I'd like, we'd have to get my daughter like her own. Like, mm-hmm. I think that'd be too many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then I also heard like, cause my, my brother-in-law, uh, my wife's brother, he is, he does not like to fly. Like he just really doesn't like to fly. So he's taken a lot of trains if it's doable instead, like he'll, you know? Yeah. Um, and he talks about how you can get like a suite or a cabin or whatever they call it. But if you don't want to pay that much, if you want to pay less, there actually is like a main compartment. I guess it would kind of be like on an airplane, mm-hmm. like if you were like in coach. Yeah. Um, but I think I would have to like I would have to fork over the money for a for a cabin. I guess sometimes the cabins are taken though, because I don't know how many are on a train. I, um, I just know nothing about trains. I really have no idea. So. Just just uh, the you know only only thing I know is as I've ridden one once. So that's all. Well, I that's know. that's well, you know more than me. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the important thing. So so you know so can you tell me? Was um was narrow margin an accurate? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> was the commuter mm-hmm. uh, 
think about was, all the train that, movies they're they're all like that yeah they're all i guess the commuter's a subway but that's kind of a, it's like an l train that's a train isn't it? Mm, yeah the l train is yeah if I don't you're know. Talking I'm about, sorry. I got us yeah. way, 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 way off topic. But you're doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, we both watched From Russia with Love this week, and uh, yeah, we're gonna be talking about From Russia with Love. So I guess let's go ahead and get into this. So our first segment is something we like to call Eon Flux. This is a journey. I'm gonna make a movie. We have to go back, Kate. Wow. How did you know all that stuff? I did my research. I don't understand any of this. What the fuck is going on? We are gonna scour through the history of Eon Productions and give you all the highs and lows that went into the makings of these films. So I'm really confused about, like like everything says this was made, like because Dr. No was a success. But I will say at the end of Dr. No, though, it says James Bond will return in From Russia with Love. So I guess if it wasn't a hit, we just never would have gotten this movie. See now, here's something, and I could be wrong about this. I read uh, some trivia on From Russia with Love after yeah. this, and it said this this was the first time that it had shown up. Now, this is the first time that it said James Bond will return. I'm wondering if after the uh, success of the James Bond movies, they went back to Dr. No and added the James Bond will return there. Maybe. So that's a possibility. Uh, it, but it also could be, uh, you know, some weird thing that people forgot to time, uh, that, you know, they were going to make this next movie anyway. Well, and especially since, and I'm sure you'll get, you know, this is another one of those trivia things. John F. Kennedy in mm-hmm. 1961 put it in his top 10 of books that he, you know, the Ian Fleming novel was in his top 10 that year in 1961 so like the broccoli and uh the other producer saltzman right Mm -hmm. um were already ecstatic in 1961 about from russia with love making that list and so who knows maybe they forgot that yeah that they were making this anyway yeah, I've got a few things on that. Uh, well, I want to say real quick, because I forgot to do this last week, too, at the top, and I, I need to do this now just so people get their credit. Uh, I, I do get some of this just from Googling and finding mm-hmm. places online, but I have been reading the book, Nobody Does It Better, The Complete Uncensored Unauthorized Oral History of James Bond. Um, that is a book that you can buy on Amazon for you know electronically or however you like to get your books, but highly, highly recommend that if you're interested in reading about you know, a lot of in-depth stuff on the makings of these films. Mm-hmm. The JFK thing. So other interesting fact is that From Russia With Love was the last film he watched in the White House before going to Dallas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is yeah, insane, so right? So creepy. I mean, I guess if it had been any movie, we'd still be talking about it that way, but it was just, I don't know, for some reason it being that and that he was so associated with this novel, mm-hmm. uh, which I find interesting. I love the idea that we had presidents that were associated with like reading novels, mm-hmm. like fun novels. Like you would never hear that today. Probably not. Or people would complain about it. They'd be like, you don't have time to read a book. Mm-hmm. Work on the country. Yeah. Not realizing that they watch movies all the time at the White House. But um, somebody in the, in the book, and I, God, I didn't write down who it was, but Somebody said in the book uh, that I was reading that he did say that and his endorsement actually initially it sparked the publishing company, which was Signet, to redesign their bond titles and start releasing them in a uniform style. Mm-hmm. So the books, the essentially the books became more popular again, mm-hmm. um, even though they were already kind of popular. But I guess they just kind of they even went bigger with that. And then uh, 
And they were definitely capitalizing off the endorsement because even after all this happened, they still were trying to get Thunderball made. Mm -hmm. Like that was still their intention. And when they still had to, there's a lot to do with Thunderball that we'll talk about when we get to that. But uh, so they eventually had to settle on this. And then so it was From Russia With Love was the one they picked. And they basically just said, for the most part, like that book just, they said it was just, it had like all the scenic stuff, like and the fighting and just, it was just something about the way the book was written that they just decided that was the best one to do next. Mm -hmm. This, uh, because of Dr. News popularity, the budget on this was increased by a million dollars. So it was a $2 million budget. It, however, ended up costing, I don't know how much more than that, but they went over budget quite a bit, apparently. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know why they reported this, but Connery, if anybody's interested, Connery got a $100,000 bonus to go along with a salary of 54000 54000 is a lot of money, I'm sure, in 1964, but it's still crazy to think it, the way actors are making money today, it's just, you know, crazy to think that Connery just got paid. I, and it's, I hate to say just got paid 154000 I would do a movie now for 154000 but mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So it was released in the UK, uh, October 10th, 1963. Same kind of like what Dr. No did. It released later in the US. We got it May 27th, 1964, which actually became one of the few years where the US got two Bond movies yeah. because uh, Goldfinger comes out at the end of the year. Yeah, they were already uh, making Goldfinger at the time that it came out in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, it is it is crazy. It's it's insane, too, just how quickly they filmed these. I mean, if you think about the... There was a time period where we got a Bond movie like every other year, mm -hmm. like 70s and 80s. And then I guess even with Brosnan, it was probably every two or three years. Uh, Craig, for various reasons, has been kind of spread out a lot more. Uh, but I still can't believe how quickly they were making these movies. Because yeah. these couldn't have been like... These weren't like just, I mean, they had to go to different locations and they had to build sets at Pinewood and, you know, they had to do all this stuff. And yeah, well, and especially in this one where they have that huge chess tournament thing at the beginning, yeah. that's, you know, $150,000 set and, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. It's, and, you know, they had to make a matte painting for the rooftop and everything. Everything else is, is something they had to build. It was amazing, like just amazing stuff. Oh, it is. And we can definitely talk about the, vi the vis visually. This movie is awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I was just saying it's no it's no wonder to me that Connery got burnt out, because I think the one thing that's interesting about this movie and probably at least Goldfinger is these first few movies like Connery really looks like he's having fun. Mm -hmm. And like if you read about his offset stuff, too, it seems like he was really into it because they were saying he was always there first in the morning. Mm -hmm. If there was like a 10 a.m. call, he'd be there at 730, you know. And uh, it's just going to be funny when we start talking about a couple of his later ones where it he seems less interested. Well, yeah, <laughs> obviously, right? Because you yeah. you're not you're not living the life of James Bond, really, right? No. You're making a movie, and those things get take its toll, especially when you're making the same. It's not the same movie, but it's the same kind of movie and the same character over and over and over again. And I'm sure at the beginning where he was, you know, he got this recognition, he became famous, mm -hmm. all of that. I'm sure that was a huge thing, you know, that, that gave him a lot of motivation at first. But once you get that, you're not like the starving artist anymore after a while. And you're just like, I want to do something different. So I totally understand why he started to feel that way. Like TV shows, like procedurals mm -hmm. that go like yeah, law and order, no kidding. Like SVU and she, uh, Mariska Hargitay, she might be like one of the best actors ever because I mean, she's made it through 20 plus seasons of this show. That is the exact same show every week. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, as far as I know, I haven't watched it in a long time, but as far as I know, she's still really good. I mean, because I would just get, I think at some point you're just bored, right? Mm-hmm. You're just like, I'm just doing the same crap over and over. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, Terrence Young returns. He was a director yep. of uh, Dr. No as well. This is uh, his second of three Bond films, so we will be talking about him again in a couple weeks. Uh, Richard Baybaum and Joanna Harwood were brought back as writers, although uh, I did see where Lynn Dayton, which is who's a novelist, was hired and just... I guess didn't cut it. Yeah, uh, couldn't they, couldn't get it the script to they work. Definitely so they had brought, to rewrite this. Uh, yeah, they brought May Maybaum and uh, Harwood. This is, I believe, this is Harwood's last credit. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Maybaum's got quite a few more to go. So we'll be talking about him. But yeah, Lynn Dayton. Interestingly enough, though, I haven't read the novels. I do actually own them. They're on this bookcase back here because I got them at a used bookstore a couple years ago. But um, he wrote the. I think it's Harry Palmer. It's something like that. But uh, it was a. Uh, the Ip, the Ipcris file was the first book, and they made that into a movie with Michael Caine, and I think they made two or three sequels to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just interesting that he couldn't write this, but he wrote books that were spy novels that ended up becoming also like uh, pretty, you know, I don't know, yeah. famous movies. But I think they're they're well known to people that are fans of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the film made around twenty million more than Doctor No. It was about seventy nine million uh, worldwide. Uh, and I would say general consensus, at least now, is that this is one of the one of the high points of the franchise. I was actually surprised to see that a lot of critics were uh, kind of just called it like mediocre, mm-hmm. like they just thought it was okay. And there's quite a few that even said it wasn't as good as Doctor No, which I just yeah, found, that's, that's weird. I found fascinating. I can see why if you're like a if you're like someone who really likes uh, enig- enigmatic villains and stuff like that, yeah. you may have knocked this down a tick. And there's probably another. We'll get into the one section that I think really kind of drags this movie down a little bit. Even though I still think this is way better than Doctor No, but it is. Um, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But uh, but if you if you're looking for like a, a big you know specter villain in this. It, the villains are like okay basically there's not like one yeah. there's not somebody who's like super powerful and behind it all really in this you end up basically getting like three henchmen mm-hmm. or, yeah. or two henchmen and one henchwoman i guess it's a, yeah uh but yeah At, like you know in the 80s like in 1986 uh danny perry who's a who's a, a critic that's written a lot of uh books people might know him if uh, he's he's he wrote the I, they were popular in the 80s i don't know if people still talk, i think i've heard him on some podcasts but he wrote these series of books about cult films which mm-hmm. is pretty good but in, in his 1986 book he described from russia with love as an excellent surprisingly tough and gritty james bond film which is refreshingly free of the gimmicky that would characterize the later bond films and connery and bianchi play real people we worry about them and hope their relationship will work out. Shaw and Lot Linya are splendid villains. Both have exciting, well choreographed fights with Connery. Actors play it straight with excellent results. Oh, that's a pretty good mm-hmm. way to sum that movie up. 2004 Total Film Magazine named it the ninth best British film of all time. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was crazy. And then also, this was the first film to win a BAFTA. It won for uh, it won for best cinematography. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about the writers, director. Obviously, Connery's back. But we also have Bernard Lee is back as M. Uh, Lois Maxwell is back as Money Penny. They're not going to be going anywhere for a minute. Yeah. Uh, we also get the second and unfortunately, I guess, final appearance of Eunice Grayson as Sylvia. Poor Sylvia. Yeah, yeah. She, she was supposed to be like in five. We talked about this in the Doctor No episode, but I just think it's crazy. She was supposed to. She signed a contract and. Uh, 
all of a sudden, I can't remember who directed uh, who directs Goldfinger, but I guess I'll we'll talk about that next week. But he was just like, I don't want to, I don't want her to be in this movie. <laughs> so, uh, Desmond Llewellyn is in this. It's his first appearance. He's yeah. not given the name Q in this movie, and he's not given any name. And then in the credits, he's listed as Boothroyd, which was actually the name of the guy, the name of the character from the first right. movie. Um, it was Guy Hamilton, and, by the way, did Goldfinger. Huh? Guy Hamilton Guy, and Gold. That's right. Yeah, Guy yeah. Hamilton. I, mm. It was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, man. A lot of these. A lot of these like sound the same to me. Like Guy Hamilton, Terrence yeah, Young, pretty much. Martin Campbell. Yeah, they're all the same. <laughs> same name. Yeah. Um, this is also our first appearance, sort of, of Blofeld. Yeah. Um, we only hear the voice of, and he's actually credited with a question mark, which right. I thought was interesting. Right. And there's a, you have, so you have a guy who for, who played in Dr. No, who's playing yeah, the hands. Yeah, Anthony Dawson. Yeah, playing the hands and basic, and mm-hmm. petting the cat. And then you have a voice uh, that's, uh, I can't remember his name either, but he almost oh, I sounds... Oh, I thought the voice was Anthony Dawson's. Was it not the same it's guy? It's not the same voice. Oh, okay. Uh, the, I wrote that but down he wrong. sounds like Sean Connery, so I thought that they had yeah, done Sean does. Connery there for a second. Uh, <laughs> but no, it was some other dude who did the voice on that. So, Anthony, But yeah, Anthony Dawson, he was he was the professor that uh, Bond, uh, uh, I guess, kills at that, at that house in Jamaica or whatever. But um, in Dr. No... The thing I always remember him from, though, he's the guy that Ray Milan, or Milan, or mm. have you say his last name, uh, blackmails to kill Grace Kelly and uh, dial him for murder. Mm-hmm. I, I just always picture him like with those scissors. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's how I see that guy. But anyways, um, other people in the cast, we've got Daniela Bianchi, who's yep. the 1960 Miss Universe runner-up. How is she the runner-up? Like, I know, that? right? Uh, uh, she, from Italy, yeah. 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 She plays Tatiana. Uh, and she, she was not the first choice. Yeah, she was. Uh, she, I think she even tried out to be in Doctor No as well, and uh, yeah. and uh, ended up in this one. So, yeah, and she was not the first choice, and I didn't really recognize any of the other actresses. Me they either. were all like, they were all like a tie. But I will say one story I read, which was really disturbing. Uh, this actress named Elga Gimba Anderson. Uh, she had the role. She she accepted the role. But then she refused to have sex with the UA exec, so she was fired. That's uh, that's what that's the rumor. I don't know. Well, you know what? Looking I saw, back, I saw it in a few different places. Looking so. back in you know in the era in which this is filmed, I'm I'm yeah. not entirely surprised. And considering the stories that people tell with a kind of an unnerving, um, I don't know, like all shucks no big deal whatever like what they were talking about with ursula andrus when they were yeah. putting when they were tanning her up and there were like 10 <laughs> people showing up with breakfasts and stuff like that and she was just like oh you know boys will be boys and whatever but like um even even stuff with terrence young like i hear hear stuff where like everybody's like boy i loved working with this guy but then there'd be stuff like where and this is a random thing from this movie. And this is, of course, this is just a trivia note. And it may not even, who knows how true it is. But, like, one of the things that it was, was that he didn't like the legs, her legs, the uh, uh, Gabriella, whatever, what's her name? Uh, uh, Daniela Bianchi's legs in the scene mm-hmm. where they're looking through the periscope or whatever. So she hired some other woman to have, like, you know, to, to to walk into the scene so you know there's like little things like that that there's a definitely a ton of sexism going on at this time and of course it's a different time but uh you know i'm not 
I'm the, 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 yeah, who knows if that story is true, but yeah, and that's what I'm yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely categorizing it as a rumor, but I, I I read it in a few different places, so I thought I'd at least mention it and just yeah. Uh, Pedro Armendariz, I'm going to go with. Uh, he plays Carambe, uh, oh, which kind of ends Armin, up being... It's Armendaris. Armendaris, thank yeah. you. He plays uh, the character Karam, Karam or Kiram uh, Bay. Uh, this is kind of like a character, kind of like in Dr. No, we had the guy in Jamaica mm-hmm. that kind of befriends Bond and kind of becomes like his little, like a sidekick yeah, or whatever. Yeah, never be a Bond friend in a movie, by the way. Yeah, it's like they're like I... They're like the red shirts. I, I don't know how often this really happens because like I don't think it happens in Goldfinger, but there might be something I'm I'm forgetting. But this was at least the first couple films. They did a they did this thing. Uh he was actually cast on the recommendation of John Ford. John yeah. Ford and Terrence Young apparently knew each other. Uh and then the sad thing about him though, he was in really poor health. Mm-hmm. Uh he was like just dying from like apparently hor- a horrible cancer diagnosis. I don't yeah. know where he had cancer. Yeah. But uh, but because he needed to get more financial uh, freedom for his his wife before he died, uh, he just he was a trooper. And, and uh, yeah, they the movie. They uh, they actually rearranged the schedule so that all of his scenes would get shot early on in the in the thing. And yes, he has a, he has a tragic end. Um, uh, I don't want to like get too heavily into the weeds, but if you want to look up Pedro Armendariz and how what happened after the movie and everything. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a tragic and it's sad because yeah. he's really good in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's why I didn't mention the specifics of mm-hmm. what happens after, but yeah, yeah. for sure. No, if you're interested at all, look that up, but yeah. And it was cool too, that they kept him on. Like that feels like, a sp- I, I don't know how much insurance and stuff played into anything back then, but like, that seems like something today where they couldn't even hire the person because they would be dealing with too much. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that would make you liable, you know. Yeah. But I don't Apparently, know. they had to like stand him up a couple of times during scenes. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's 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 kind of it, I like that he at least he got to do. And something he's so good in it though. Like, he's so oh my god, uh, he's so good. He's one of the best like side characters I, I've ever seen. He's probably the one I'm sad like wasn't recurring. Yeah, like, I would have. I would like like we like we have to get freaking which I can't wait till we talk about like Joe Bob or whatever that character's oh, name yeah. is. And, and the and the couple of Roger Moore films. Yep, yep. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this was actually a guy I would have loved to have seen come back. We can definitely talk about him some more in the thing. Uh, let me just. Uh, Joe Robinson was originally considered to play Grant. Not really sure who that is, but that I saw that mentioned a few times. Uh, Robert Shaw got the role though. Of course, uh, he plays. I guess the main villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, like we said earlier, there's kind of like at least like it feels like two villains in yeah, this. Yeah, it, that's if you're not counting Blofeld and you're not counting Cromstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, lot. I don't know how to say her first name. It's L O T T E Latte. Yeah, uh, I actually Lenya. heard this name pronounced several okay. times, but I don't remember if it's exact. But it's Lotta Lenya, I think. Okay, Lotta Lenya. That makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays Cleb, who is another really fun character in this movie. Yep. Uh, she was she was nominated for an Academy Award a couple years earlier. If there was uh, any model Roman. for what would become the Austin Powers, oh. this is her. Yeah, absolutely. No, I thought about that right when I saw that. It mm. was the the Francesca or whatever. I can't remember that character's name in Austin Powers. Yeah, but. I can't either. Um, but uh, but definitely definitely mm. modeled off of that. Yeah, but she's a, she's a great actress, and she, like I said, she was nominated for Academy Award a couple years before this in a movie called The Roman Spring of, of Mrs. Stone. And then our kind of third henchman, I guess, uh, he has a lot more to do in the novel than he does in the movie, but uh, Vladek uh, Scheibal plays Kronstein. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and uh, he actually, he, he, we'll be talking about him again in a couple weeks, I found out, when we do the 1967 uh, Casino Royale. He's mm-hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's just a few like just interesting things I found. Uh, Connery apparently was considered, I don't know what they considered overweight, but T- Terrence Young, by the way, is interviewed in this book that I'm reading. And so I, I get a lot of stuff from him in these first couple of movies. And he seems like he's very blunt. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's put it that yep. way. Yep. Cause he just flat out says he's like when they were shooting the scene where Connery walks into the room and Tatiana's in the bed and Connery's just wearing a towel. He said they had to keep reshooting that scene because he had to keep making Connery hold his breath longer. So his chest would come in. Cause Huh. He had too much of a tummy, is huh. what is what Terrence Young said. Okay. I'm just like, holy crap! Like, I mean, that definitely. I didn't. I didn't realize how crazy that could get with dudes too. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, if he's overweight, I'm obese. So, I will say this uh, for Terrence Young, and you may be getting to this, and I'm sorry to step on it. If I no, am, no, but, you keep no, because you're um, saying stuff I don't know about. But so. but as much as I felt like Terrence Young probably was a bit of a hard ass, uh, even though people always said how much they loved him and everything like both, uh, behind the scenes I've seen of, of these movies, they're like, Oh, I love Terrence Young so much. He's so great. But I'm also, also underneath that, there's a lot of like, Oh my God, this guy is probably kind of a dick too. But as much as he's like a dick to everybody else and everything, he did the same thing to his own self, basically when, he came into a scene riding a helicopter and the helicopter fell into the ocean. It, it like crap, like mm-hmm. it fell into the ocean and he was in it and like people had to go run out there and save him and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, you know, he, he, I think he broke his arm. He nearly drowned all this stuff. And 35 minutes later, they're shooting the scene. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's just fucking nuts, man. Yeah. That's just, it's just talk about a different time and just, sure. I would have like I if that had been me, I would have been like, I'm gonna need a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me recover from <laughs> like, this. Gonna... But, he, but you know what? The, the drive to make a movie, like you know, yeah. under budget and like on time and all that. A lot of times, that's what that was what rules the day. And look, directors being shitty to actors and stuff. I I'm never I'm never gonna say that's okay. Right. But I do think there is directors are kind of like like coaches mm-hmm. like. In a way, like or at least like football coaches, I, I just feel like there there almost has to be like an assholishness to you mm-hmm. because you've you've got to be able to control so many people and then have people above you, you know, blaming you for things. So I'm sure there's days where things just get really tense. I still think like the the David O. Russell uh, uh, Lily Tomlin thing. I think that's probably the extreme, mm-hmm. and then. But like you hear stories about Spielberg where like Empire of the Sun, he kept telling that like there's that scene where Christian Bale gets slapped mm-hmm. and he kept telling the actress that was slapping him to just keep slapping harder, mm-hmm. you know, and because he wanted ba- like he wanted Bale to cry. And it's just you hear stuff like that and you're like, God, that's fucked up. Yeah. But I mean, people talk about how much they love to work for Spielberg. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like, yeah, I mean. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. crazy. It's just, I don't think I could direct a movie. There's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a line. Like, and I think that there's some, who knows, there are probably some directors who can get what they want without that. And yeah. there are others who just can't do it. You know, there's just, there's just not a, yeah, they have to, they have to create attention. Yeah. And I definitely, like I said, I don't think that's okay behavior. I just, it's, but it's just, there's so many stories and, and, and like you said, people just say they like to work with mm-hmm. them. And, I guess some of that could be fear of not wanting to alienate themselves from a job, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I think 
people are probably pretty genuine most of the time about stuff like that. Um, a few other things that chess match that you mentioned, mm-hmm. which is a just a god. I mean, I, I love though that like all that money you see it like on the screen because yeah. I mean that that set is so elaborate mm-hmm. and it's it's beautiful but that was a reenactment of an actual match I don't know who these people are because I don't follow chess but Boris, Spassky Boris Spassky is one yeah yeah David Bronstein mm-hmm. uh, I guess all the moves and stuff were just uh, were were fabricated after that which is pretty interesting mm-hmm. uh, the film was over budget as I already mentioned it was taking longer than expected so they were trying to meet that release date and uh, so Peter Hunt was actually editing it as they were shooting uh, which I think that does still have. I think that might happen more. I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but and from what I understand, then, I guess it was odd. Kind of an unsung hero on this movie, the editor, because there were a lot of things oh, yeah. they had to do in this. Like yeah. there was one scene they had already shot it, uh, but they needed to do a reshoot. But they needed to do it without going more over budget, so they had to like. They had to shoot. It was it was a it was a scene uh, where they're talking to Blofeld, and it's a lot yeah. of Le- lot of Lenya is talking, and they had to shoot her, and then like superimpose her over a shot that was already made, mm-hmm. and and they had to make sure that sh- her head didn't move a certain way, or else you'd yeah. see you'd see the other footage behind it. So it was like, <laughs> like stuff like that. There's a scene also where she goes to look at the fighting fish and they reverse it and it comes yeah. back and you know, it's like little things like that. And they also uh, changed a lot of the order of how the script was telling the story so that it mm-hmm. would make more sense. So it was well, a that, lot of that things. does make sense. And I'll, I'll, I can get into that more when I talk about the book because the, the order in the movie, uh, like the book is very similar like it's probably one of the most faithful adaptations they've done, mm-hmm. but the order of things is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, well, and then obviously we'll talk about this. We talk about the the next set. We actually talk about what we thought of the movie, but the the editing on that fight sequence mm-hmm. uh, between uh, you know Grant and Bond is in a train cab. Is oh, I love stuff like that. Yeah, I yeah, wish we got more of that. For three still. weeks they shot that for huh? three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, but I just I just love that. I love the idea of like let's pick the smallest room possible where people can't even like move that well yeah. and have a fight. Like that's just I don't know. I just wish more movies did things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in America, I know there are still a lot of like Asian action films, and so in America, there's some like direct to video ones that there's some directors out there that that play around with it a lot more. I know, but uh, but I'm just thinking like as far as theatrical stuff, mm-hmm. like you don't see stuff like this r- rarely. I mean, I guess maybe the Captain America elevator fight, but yeah. like, but the editing in that versus the editing in this right. is so vastly different, right? Um, and and you and it it it's not as believable that they're actually in that small of a space. I think so. I don't know. That's just me. That's me saying get off my lawn. I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> So we get a lot of conventions in this that we're going to see like in in almost all the Bond movies that follow, one of which is the credits, the way the credits are done. Now, the credits don't have their own song. They're done to uh, it's just it's it's the Bond themes, John Barry's version of the Bond theme. Mm hmm. But the the ladies, you know, there's there's scantily clad ladies dancing the credit. I really like the credits in this really one, how cool. they. They come up like they they come up on the legs and mm-hmm. stuff of the of the women and the yeah, thighs they're like, and whatnot. There's a, it's kind of like a 
it's like as if uh, project something's projecting onto yeah. their bodies, and so you don't see the full name at first, but then certain movements yeah. will make it where you can see the full yeah. name and everything. It's really cool. It is cool, because Maurice Binder did the credits for Dr. No, and he was brought back, but he had some disagreements, I think, so they let him go. And they brought this guy named Robert Brownjohn, and apparently he's the one that uh, had that idea. And which ended up being a great idea, I guess, because they do it in all the movies that follow pretty much. Even I think even the Craig, there's a, there's one exception, which is Die Another Day, because Die Another Day yeah. does this weird thing where it actually has part of the narrative is in the credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you see like Bond getting tortured and stuff, which obviously we'll talk about in several weeks. But 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 ex- with the exception of that one, I think even in the Craig films, it's like women, right? Yeah, and, they yeah, pretty yeah. much. I mean, not not always like how not not always like the risque type of stuff yeah, that they yeah, were yeah. doing, but yeah. th- but usually yes, it's it's got the same kind of slow motion balletic type of you know um, movements and stuff. Yeah, and I could totally see why some people might consider those credits to be a little. A, a little raunchy, maybe a little skeezy, but I don't know. I just, I, I, when they're done well like this, I just think they're, they're fun to watch, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm not, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I guess it is real women, but it almost looks like drawings or something. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Um, and then the pre-credit sequence, which was something that really started with this movie and becomes pretty popular, at least the way it's done in this movie. Cause there's, there are several that do this where, or like there's a handful that do this where, you think for a second maybe Bond has been killed. This mm-hmm. was the first one, um, but originally it was supposed to take place at that training school that we see uh, that the that that Spectre has. Uh, but Young had recently watched uh, last year at Mart. Is it last night at Marion Bad? Yeah, which he called pretentious, which I thought was really funny. Which it is, but by the way, just as an aside, I know this is a Bond podcast. That movie is great. I love. Oh, it's way up on my list, and and that's reminded me of it. Thankfully, yeah, I think it's on Criterion Channel too. I don't know. Last year at Marion Bad, I said last night, but it's last year at Marion. Yeah, it is last year. Yeah, Yeah. but I just thought it was funny though. He didn't really like it, but he said it it was shot so well. So he and I guess I guess there's like gardens and stuff that are Mm -hmm. in that movie. So he decided to do. Uh, had the opening in the garden with the statues, which I, I really like. I like the opening, so mm. I think that mm-hmm. works. Yeah. The only other thing I had, uh, there was a video game made based on this in 2005, yeah. which I'm not a gamer, uh, but Spectre was changed to Octopus mm. because the rights over who owned the name Spectre was still in dispute. That's weird. That's going to come up in a while, like in a, in a uh, shortly, actually. When we start talking mm-hmm. about Thunderball, we can talk about some of that. But uh out of all the things they could have picked, though, octopus. Like- yeah, no idea. And apparently, Sean Connery did voice work for that, so that was basically his last time doing any kind of Bond uh, work. Uh, yeah, whatsoever. So cool. But the you know we'll probably get into that as well. But the uh, but Spectre is is bigger in this movie than it is in the book because they didn't want to. Absolutely, wanna, they didn't. They they felt like the I think. Uh, uh, Broccoli and Saltzman were under the impression the Cold War was on the verge of being uh, over, so they didn't want to make Smirsh the uh, Russian uh, CIA or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't want to make them the main villains. Uh, this really comes together pretty well in the movie, by the way. They, I think they, so. Yeah, they've done this whole thing. They've set this whole thing up uh, where where they're not the true villains and it's Spectre and everything. We'll get into all the plot of it later, but. Um, but that is an interesting thing that they, they made Spectre more of a, a big deal. The other thing about that opening sequence 
is that uh, the first time they shot it, apparently when they pull the mask off, the person who's playing Bond underneath the mask looks so much like Sean Connery that they <laughs> had to this. they yeah. had to put a mustache on the on the next on when they I don't know if they did it digitally or if they they shot it again oh with God. a guy with a mustache, but they didn't realize this until like well and after. it was Henry Cavill. Yeah, it was Henry Cavill. Um, <laughs> but uh, they didn't realize this until much later, apparently, in the in the production. And then they're like, so oh, my crazy. God, this guy looks too much like Sean Connery. Everybody's going to think that's really Bond or whatever. So they, they had to reshoot. That's the stuff I love, though. That's why I like that we do this segment, because it's so interesting to see just all the stuff that goes into you know doing all this. Mm-hmm. And then the stuff that happens or the decisions that are made on the fly. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just really it's crazy. So it's. Up until Thunderball in the books, it's Smirsh, which is, from what I can tell, is like 100% like Russian people. Because mm-hmm. uh, Blofeld's not in the books yet at this point and all that. But then after, when the, when when they wrote the screenplay for Thunderball and, and Ian Fleming essentially took the screenplay and made it into a novel, then yeah. Spectre and Blofeld and people like that start, which that's also what caused the legal issues was mm-hmm. because of that, you know, and uh, that started everything. So yeah, it's it's Smirch for quite a while and there's no Blofeld and uh, it's just, it's, it's very different. But like you said, the movies didn't want to, they didn't feel comfortable making the villains specifically Russian. So they did like a kind of a global crime syndicate. So you could just have even though it all, it just kind of ends up being like a bunch of Italians. I don't, I don't know how, why that's being nice to the. I mean, you're, we're not, we're not going to be mean to the Russians. We'll just be mean to the Italians. They don't, they don't care. They don't really say <laughs> Italy. No, though. they don't. So that's the that's the point is that they don't have a country. They they're that's just, true. They're running on their own essentially. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's very true. Um, another thing, uh, another thing is that Ken Adam is not doing the production design on this one because mm-hmm. uh, Stanley Kubrick stole him away to do Doctor yeah. Strangelove, which all obviously has some of the best sets of all time in it. Yeah, I read uh, that. I'm glad he went and did that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, but Ken Adam will be back. He is a huge part of what mm-hmm. of what you remember about, especially the Connery Bonds. So. All right, you ready to start just talking about the our thoughts? Yeah, sure. So let's go ahead to our next segment, which is called A Review to a Kill. I've got you in my sights. Get the fuck out of my sight before I demolish you. What we've got here is failure to communicate. There's no need to shout. I'm not shouting! Why don't you stop your whining and get on with it? I've heard this shit before. Uh, we are going to give you our thoughts on whatever film we are discussing this week. This week, we are talking about, obviously, From Russia With Love. Chris, what are your, like, uh, was this, I I, I don't want to keep asking you this because I don't want to, if it's the same story, but is this also one you saw for the first time when you were doing your uh, Bond retrospective? Yes. Uh, my Bond retrospective was back in 2006. So just to sort yeah. of a reminder, I did that back in 2006 when um, uh, Casino Royale, the, the Daniel Craig came out. And uh, so, yeah, From Russia With Love was my first viewing of it uh, back then. And back then, I didn't like this very much. Um, Yeah. uh, And I think it's because I thought the train sequence, which is the main part of this movie, is too long. But on the second viewing of this, I really, really enjoyed this. Um, The only part of the train sequence that I don't like, and I don't know if this is because of budgetary constraints. We don't know, because this movie... It had twice the budget of Dr. No, Mm -hmm. so they had more room to work with, but it's not necessarily mean, that doesn't necessarily mean they had all the money in the world to work with. But there is, and 
this is probably one of the most egregious villains spilling out the plans <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. There's no reason for Robert Shaw to Mm-mm. tell him the entire plot. Now, I think they're trying to make it seem like, oh, he's just he's just a mercenary and that, you know, if you just dangle money in front of Grant, he'll just do whatever. He'll he'll change allegiances like that and whatever, which doesn't make sense to me since he's basically been just like he's been trained to be a mm-hmm. specter person the entire time. I didn't know the, the money he seems thing. Like almost like the Terminator or something. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And the money thing is, is something that kind of comes out of nowhere for me. Like it's as, as a, a gateway into that whole thing. So yeah, anyway, I'm not a big fan of the fact that he tells every single yeah. detail of what's going on. However, everything else on that train is great the production is way better i love the opening sequence i love how they start this off with the chess thing look we've that movies over the years have have overplayed this chess thing with villains like oh here's this is a villain that sees 100 moves ahead and so on and so forth but i think for a movie like this perfect opening to have somebody who is a chess master basically Mm -hmm. come in and say here's the plan this is what we're going to do. And like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. They want this lector thing, that thing that like uh, cracks codes. It's a, yeah, decodes. Yeah. They want this thing. Uh, and there's a whole, you know, I, I like too the fact that Blofeld does this over the top thing about the fighting fish and the one fish sits there and waits while the other two. And then when the, when the one that wins is done, the other fish can come in and fight the tired one. He's, you know, Spectre is that fish that's waiting for Russia and and Great Britain or whatever we want to call it, the UK, England. There's a million different uh, ways to call England, and I'm I'm butchering them all. Um, Anyway. uh, We need to just have Ian on standby for these shows. Just like, hey, man. There's so many different names for different entities that are over there. And, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway. So it's it's basically pitting them against each other, making it seem like the British are stealing this and whatever, yeah. and like so Russia will be mad at them. And then meanwhile, while they're not both not looking, Spectre can come in and take the lecture, yeah. which was called the Spectre, I think, in the book. Um, <laughs> anyway, the um, uh, I, I love that whole setup there. And if they did indeed change the order of things that were in the screenplay back to where it was, it's perfect to set this whole thing up. They did this; they did the editing perfectly in this. So I, I, I love how they set this up. I love, I love the, uh, you know, uh, all this whole thing. Like they know it's a trap. They, the, you know, they know um, MI6 knows this is a trap right yeah. off the bat, but they don't know what they're really looking what why why this is a trap what's who's who's behind what yeah and they think they could still get the machine sure you know even if it is a trap Yeah, and this is it plays exactly like the chess master is is saying it will and it should work except for the fact that fucking grant (laughs) grant just tells the whole story and and doesn't kill bond when he has a chance but it's interesting you mentioned already that austin powers you know, the the Kleb character, you know, feels very much like the one in the Austin I wonder if Grant, uh, you know, like the whole, like, I'm going to give all this exposition before I try to kill you. Um, if that's where, you know, Mike Myers got that from, too. Because 
you know, just in the next movie, we're going to have the villain say something like, why no, Mr. Bond, I just expect you to die. Like, I'm not going to tell you. And I wonder if that's kind of a, yeah, yeah. I've always wondered if that's a, something like that. They, they thought that was ridiculous too, after the fact. And then we're like, let's make fun of that. I don't know. Maybe that's not true, but, uh, yeah, who knows? I mean, I mean, that had to have been something that people, if there was one thing that they came out of from Russia with love saying, I didn't like, it might have been that because because you're exactly right. The next one, it's like, nope, I'm not going to tell you anything. Is, is the lector? Would that? Be, I'm, I I never get these right. I think would, would the lector be a MacGuffin? Yeah, yeah, it's something that we're supposed to worry about that isn't really a big part of the plot. Like so, yeah. so yeah. It, yes, it's a thing that drives the plot, but it's never anything that's in the plot. It's never, it, it's never, it never, like we never see it decode anything yeah. or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's like the transfer papers and, uh, in Casablanca. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, I think it's anything that is mentioned that drives the plot that really isn't part of the plot. That's what it ends up being. Yeah. It could, it could have been a lot of things, I guess. And it was just what gets them going. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, I think this movie, this it's one of the best looking Bond movies. Mm-hmm. I, I think. I mean, it, I mean, it definitely between that and Doctor No, leaps it's and bounds looking. above Doctor No. Yes. And it's also like I was thinking while I was watching this. This is one of those movies I'd want to show some like a younger person that talks about like how movies look today versus back then. I mean, I was like, watch this and tell me this doesn't look better than mm-hmm. stuff we get today. Mm-hmm. But I know it's on film and that's a whole different thing. But it just made me think of going and watching Thor: Love and Thunder like just a week ago and. Just how there's a lot of Thor: Love and Thunder that looks really good. Don't get me wrong, but there's some scenes where, like I, it, I, just, I just see the green screen. Like it's just, it's cr- like there's just too much in the background mm-hmm. to the point where you just, it's hard to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And then you go watch like something from the '60s or '70s, and you're just like, God damn. It. Yeah, yeah. Like why can't films still look like this? Um, but it, but you know, once again, old man, uh, mm-hmm. get off my lawn. Uh, mm-hmm. Although this movie is well before me it's 12 years before i was born or whatever but um but yeah no i i like almost all of it um i will say i hate and this is in the book too i kind of hate the whole thing about like the reason she wants to defect the reason they're giving them that she wants to defect is that she fell in love with bond looking at a picture a picture of him oh yeah and and obviously it's a lie but like and that's probably why they also think it's a trap, but it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just dumb. Like, I just mm-hmm. don't, I don't, I, I don't know. It's never made sense to me. Um, this isn't a movie also, I, I don't remember watching this one as, if I saw it when I was a kid, I don't remember. I feel like this is one I came to more as an adult, mm-hmm. but, uh, but that's always kind of in the back of my mind, just been like, that's a little silly. Like that, um, that, and I think it, I think it hurts the Tatiana character too, even though it's a lie but I still think like you still have to kind of, I don't know the way she has to play the role after that. I think it kind of affects, it affects some of her character and uh, the the strengths that that character has kind of get diminished. I guess. But it's just it's it, everything I have wrong with this is pretty small. The other sequence I really don't like is the about halfway through and they're at they're at that like it's like yeah, I, I wrote it in my notes as a female fight club oh <laughs> yeah 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 exactly yeah they're going and watching these two women fight that kind of takes you out of the movie because it just goes on for too long and then on top of that there's an action scene right after that because the 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 specter guys barge in and start shooting and like that that action sequence is kind of terrible. Yeah. I, I mean, and especially when you see like when what what happens at the end of the movie 
is so well done. And even at the beginning of the movie, that you just got this. It like even the people like the bad guys that are obviously just extras or whatever. They look like they don't even know how to hold a gun. Like it's just mm-hmm. a really ridiculous uh, moment in in an and otherwise. It's ultimately good, really good movie. a little confusing. Maybe you can hash this out for me. It's a little confusing because the, you know, they go to this. Uh, this he goes to this fight and it's like you know it's like a party basically so that everybody can see these and it's the romani people we can't you know the the the, uh, saying saying the other word you guys can look it up if you don't know whatever uh we're we're going to choose not to say that word anymore but but it's like Bond and Karam are just kind of like but getting yeah, to know each other. They go, they go and watch this, and then like then it's it's the Russians who attack. I think right. It's the Russians oh, you're who right. come it in. Is the Russians. It's yeah. the Russians who come in and attack because they think that Bond has killed one of their agents. That's the that's the big thing. But then at the end of it, I guess the guy could be lying. But at the end of the scene, they're like, "Oh, we were after." uh Karen Bay the whole time or whatever. They weren't after Bond mm-hmm. or whatever. Bond does get saved in this by Grant who who needs Bond to st- survive yeah. so that he can get the uh the machine. But yeah, Spectre does show up in this. So I I guess yeah. And then after of course Bond is offered the two Romani girls to have sex with over the and and Yeah, that's weird too. And have <laughs> and have and have them as his servants for a whole night or whatever. Um he decides, all right, we're going to go to this hideout, which I don't think the movie explains how they know that that Russian guy is at that hideout. No, I that confuses me, too. Like they said, I, is, we're gonna was have this to the go- periscope? Yeah, in the periscope, yeah. you, they see the guy. Now, maybe they maybe they say something about where he's living in there, and I just didn't see it, but or I, maybe I they already knew where he was. But, the, but as soon as they get there, he knows, like, they have he has a secret way of getting out he knows it's yeah. he's knows it's comes out of that that uh the poster that's on of course it's another broccoli saltzman movie that's on the uh, that's yeah, uh, on the side uh, of uh call me buana or call something me buana, like that yeah which and of course uh, you know <laughs> they they have to have it come out of the woman's mouth on the poster mm-hmm. the secret mm-hmm. the secret uh way that this uh this russian guy gets out but he knows everything about this dude like knows every single bit of this mm-hmm. secret so i guess i don't know like that they, they, they made it sound like this was going to be a big deal that they're going to have to find his hideout but they knew exactly where that guy was and they knew where he was yeah, going to come out and then having that weird and that scene's so weird where he gets the two women they give him the like he brings the two women in and then it also doesn't make sense logistically because you know what what actually happens i would have just cut that scene out but yeah. i mean i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah may as well just go that straight scene does to nothing for the movie there's yeah, nothing might as about well go scene. straight to the uh the action scene but and you know and the uh you know and then they set it up where uh bond has that ar7 that he's going to shoot the uh the russian guy when he comes out but uh uh, Kareem Bay decides I'm going to be the one that shoots him, and then you know he has millions chances to shoot him. He never does, but then finally he gets him. But uh, anyway, yeah, it's just that's a really odd sequence in the middle of the movie for sure. I do, I do love Kareem Bay. Like if this had been like in today's world where they just gave like side movies to like supporting characters, and I would have loved some Kareem Bay movies. Mm-hmm. I think those might have been. I think those might have been fun. Uh, yeah, poor Pedro. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so uh, the other thing, the I think the other thing about this movie, though, is it's just like when I think about Bond films, I just don't think about this movie. And it's it's it, it might be the best movie, like as far as like a, 
from a filmmaking standpoint, cinematography, all that, like it might be the best Bond film, but it's not, I don't think it's going to be my favorite. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm coming back to these, so I, I don't know what my final ranking is going to be, but like at the very least it's, it's it, depending on how gold, the Goldfinger viewing goes, which I haven't seen in forever. It, it's at the very least it's my, it's my first or second favorite Connery, which I don't know. I mean, there's a few bad Conneries we haven't gotten to, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just like it just it isn't like what Bond becomes, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I mean, I I think this movie I, in some ways works because it's not as you know much like the future uh, recurrence of how, all these recurring things that happen. Even though it does set up some of them here, but it's just it's just one of those weird ones. Like I I don't like it's so like I don't even remember like knowing it existed. Like I don't remember this being one they played in Bond marathons on TV and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. But, you know, I guess I was aware of it, but I just don't, I don't have like a memory attached to it at all. Like I knew Goldfinger and I knew Thunderball and Dr. No, you know, I, I knew what those movies were, but like mm-hmm. for whatever reason, this one just never was really on my radar. But with that being said, I still think it's one of the, it's one of the more, I think it's one of the more entertaining films in the franchise. Uh, and, and it might be like if you were to do a best type of, you know, rating, maybe it is the best. I don't know. Uh I don't know. It uh, might be. Uh, I know that it's really good. I know that amongst fans, I think Thunderball tends to get the the most praise out of all that, all especially out of the Conneries. It made Um, the most money. I know that. um, Um, The when I was watching all these movies back in two thousand six, and I was I was watching the behind the scenes back then too, but um, I just remember there being a lot of love for Thunderball, and that was that was you know the 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 gold standard but uh and i ha- and i need to re- and i'm going to be revisiting these other these other conneries but i feel like this one's my favorite one if i'm thinking about the other ones that are coming out later this is probably my favorite one uh oh i forgot about diamonds are forever no i'm kidding yeah, yeah. um uh <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, so I, is I remember else. like as a kid, I remember everybody talking about Goldfinger. Like Goldfinger was kind of the one that I, uh, when I was younger, and that's the one I was more drawn to. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting. But I haven't seen that movie in like fifteen years, so it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, how how it holds up. Uh, I I feel like when I listen to uh, like podcasts or uh, or read articles on Bond, you know, they're talking about Bond or whatever. I feel like at least in today's climate, like from Russia with Love, is kind of one of the ones that gets brought up a lot. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I, and I, I I'm kind of glad because I, I think that it is, I, I just don't think it's what you're expecting. I think it, I will say this. I think it's the closest to what the Daniel Craig films were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, like it almost feels like they were kind of going back to more of, especially with Casino Royale. Uh, some of the later Craig films, they still have that. They still have the over the top villain and all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, but yeah, um, but I, I really like all the performances in this movie. Um, I, you know, Daniela, I mean, she's, I, I don't, I think, I think she's limited by just the way her character's written, Yeah. but I think she comes off really well. Like she just, I mean, she lights up the screen. I mean, she's obviously beautiful mm-hmm. and, but I mean, I think, I think her and Connery have better chemistry, uh, than Connery and Ursula Andrews had. Mm-hmm. Um, this also might be Connery's best, by the way, I'm almost positive. This is Connery's best performance, mm, uh, as could Bond be. could be. I'm almost positive about that, but uh, I could be wrong. Uh, but uh, I just, but also, like I said, this is when he's really, really into it. Like I read a lot of stuff where he was like 
actors that would get hired on or actors they were trying to get, he would call them and be like, no, you need to do this. Like, mm-hmm. this is going to be bit. You know, it's like he was actually trying to help mm-hmm. uh, get people involved. So I think that probably shows a little bit. Um, in his performance because he actually he actually seems to be having fun and I will say like I mean there's obviously some problematic stuff in this movie there's going to be problematic stuff in just about every Bond movie but his character feels a little uh, I don't know more professional in this one I guess mm-hmm. there's speaking of Thunderball like there's a there's a scene in Thunderball where like early on where I kind of hate Bond for the rest of the movie <laughs> because oh, yeah. of what he does yeah yeah uh, and you, but you don't get a, you don't get really get any of that. Like he's he's always very like, I you know, I mean Tatiana's lying. So, but he doesn't know that. But like I still feel like he's really good with her. Like he he seems pretty respectful about I don't know for, as far as Bond goes. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that. I just think the character's a little different in this movie. That might also be why I I don't always think about it. But uh, but I I do love that. Um, mm-hmm. I also I, there's one scene another scene I really like. I love the grenade in the helicopter. Yeah yeah, that's a really good one. I like that a lot, but I also Connery makes the weirdest reference after that. He says, "I'd say one of your one of your one of our aircraft is missing." Which There's is like this. two really bad, like worse than normal Bond lines in this. <laughs> That's one of them. I would say that one of their that they would consider one of our, one, yeah, yeah, one of their aircraft is missing or whatever. And then there's another one. God, what was that one? I've already pushed it out of my head, but. There's another one that is just so basic. Like, it's just like, it's like, it's, it's kind of, it kind of reminded me of like in basketball and not basketball, but in uh, orgasmo where they're like, that really gave me a boner. If you know what I mean, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. It's like not really a double entendre, man. It's just, you know, Oh man, there's some really I, I bad also, ones on this. And I also really like Robert Shaw. Um, I, I mean, Robert Shaw's awesome, mm-hmm. you know, um, I don't, I mean, he's, you know, obviously he's Quentin Jaws, uh, memorable roles in The Sting, Taking yep. a Pelham 1, the original mm-hmm. Taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3. Mm-hmm. He, he unfortunately died way too young. Like, mm-hmm. oh God, I would have just, I would have loved to have seen what like late 80s and 90s would have done with <laughs> yeah, him. Like he yeah. could have had some of those like Dennis Hopper roles and stuff, you know, sure. I don't know. Such a distinctive voice too, you know, uh, just unmistakable Robert Shaw. Yeah. Like just, I'd love to see him like as a villain in like a Schwarzenegger movie or something from the eighties. That would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the he has a line that I really like when he's, and it is in this moment where he's saying all this stupid stuff. But he does say, uh, "Where did I have that?" Oh, he says, "You know which wines to drink with your fish, but it's just you. But it's you who are on your knees." I was thought that was a, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was there, thought that was a there really was cool a line. for me there was a laugh out loud funny line in there where like um where they're listening to the recording of of him and Tatiana and uh and she's she's throwing himself at him saying like just make love to me and all that and he's trying to figure out where the lector is and all this and and uh she goes do you love me more than all those western women and there's like a whole bunch of people like him and everybody are listening to this recording you can see lois maxwell in the back money penny is just kind of like oh my god bond is such a dog blah 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 but everybody <laughs> else is like just listening to this recording and she's and tatiana's like you like me more than those western women is like was what well, actually it was this one time me and M had a really interesting situation and M shuts <laughs> off the recording <laughs> 
course, when he comes, when he comes, when he turns it back on, this is kind of, kind of ruins it a little bit. He turns it back on. He's already moved on to the next thing. I guess they for he forwarded it or something, but, uh, but, but I love how no, that M's was like, a good moment. M shuts it off immediately. What I like, I like that. I mean, I think, I think the best Bond movies have that kind of like sense of humor to them too. Like, mm-hmm. Even something as like dark as like Casino Royale, it it definitely has some moments of yeah. of levity and stuff in it. Uh, all right, do you have anything more you want to say about? Me? No, I think we covered it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it is really good though. I highly recommend it. If if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, I I mean I I would even say start with this one. I mean, I you think could. Yeah, I think you absolutely could, and then go back later and watch Doctor. There's Nate. not really much other. Th- I mean, in, you know, there's there's recurring things that they're doing in this one. Like you said, the, you know, the Eunice Grayson character yeah. is in this and she was supposed to be in several movies. The thing with the hat, every time he comes in, he has some <laughs> new way of, you know, I guess he's always trying to throw the hat onto the, and for my next trick. <laughs> yeah. Onto the hat rack. And like, that's a that becomes a recurring thing. Uh, but not really. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You could start with this easily. So, also, that scene reminded me too because he does that where he's like, and for my next trip, and then he closes the door and he sees M is there, so he mm-hmm. kind of he stops. And I just thought that was interesting because I think later on, especially, that's a very antagonistic relationship. But yeah. early on, I had forgotten that, you know, that's his boss, and mm-hmm. like he kind of I don't know if he fears him, but he definitely has some respect. You know, yeah. he realizes that that was inappropriate, and this, you know, mm-hmm. I, and although I don't know how inappropriate that would have been, but I mean, I guess it was he he was embarrassed or whatever. Yeah. That his boss caught him being silly, um, which is I don't know. I think mm-hmm. that's interesting because because yeah. when it, by the time we get to Brosnan, we're having these like Brosnan and Judy Dench like shouting matches yeah. and stuff. Yeah, you're you're a relic of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, uh, so we're gonna do our rankings uh, for a, in a few different categories. Uh, I will explain this. So. We're now going to rank this film in five different categories. Our scale will be based on something. Bond holds dear and dear to his heart, or as long as they are shaken and not stirred. So for each category, we're ranking from one to five martinis. Five being the best damn liquid that has ever passed your lips, and one being the well liquor you had to settle for or were too drunk to care that night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So first, we'll start just the story, just the overall feeling toward the movie which sounds like both of us were kind of high on that so what did you out of five what did you say for that i i'm gonna for the story itself i think it's really solid i'm gonna give it five nice uh, so uh i i, I think that's a one thing that it does really well it tells it well you're never really confused except that middle section that might yeah that might get you down to a four in some instances but i think overall the fact is we know what's going on throughout this there's no like real like uh that's confusing like the whole what they're trying to do is not really confusing and it's yeah. uh, it's really well set up so i'm gonna give it yeah. five no I'm, I, I'm with you i i did take it down to four because of that middle section but i but mm-hmm. i'm probably closer to like a 4.5 though but like we're not doing that so sure. I, i'll just say can't I'll have just say half four. a martini man <laughs> I Can't mean, I guess you him. could. But, yeah, it could. But, it, but, but yeah. we'd have to split the glass. It just it doesn't Right, work. yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no way to pour half um, liquid. The the performance, which I actually think I talked myself into going higher on this than I already was. Just Connery's performance, the the bond. Con- oh, in Connery's this movie. performance is bond. Yeah, I, went, I, I will I will give this a five as well. Um, uh, there's I kept thinking during this whole thing like how assured he was and how 
how uh how much fun he seems to be having throughout and uh and uh this seems yeah. like this is way this is obviously way better than the first one where he's just kind of trying to get into the character yeah. and everything and he's and he's good in that first one but uh, i think he's he's totally solid in this well and i think i think this one's such a such a better story and maybe that is because they realized what they wanted to do after the first one but this is such a better story that i'm really glad this wasn't the first one because because in the book order, this comes bef- right before uh, Doctor No. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but like I'm but I, I I wonder if this would have been as good if they had done this one first because you would have everybody not really knowing what they wanted to do exactly. And mm-hmm. I, you had you had not only did you have Connery more comfortable, you had Terrence Young was more comfortable. Yeah. Um. You know, and and and, and stuff like that. So. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. So I gave that a five. So the villain, or in this case, I guess it's villains and henchmen and women. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that whole group was fun. Um, there, I, I think there are definitely going to be more memorable villains. Although I don't know if there's going to be too many. I mean, sometimes, sometimes my biggest issue with some of these films is the villain. So, but I did do, I did say four out of five because I had, I had enough, I had a lot of fun with them. Yeah, I I, I kind of feel like it's maybe between three and a four, but yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with three only because the the promise of what Grant is in this doesn't come out by the end of it. Um, uh, when you think of just unfeeling robot characters or whatever, I, I, I was a little disappointing that money drove him so much mm-hmm. by the end of it. Um, and... And he's and he's really good, but like then yeah, I mean the um, the um, the Rosa Club character has moments. Mm-hmm. Blofeld is obviously not yet like totally mm-hmm. into this yet, but you know he's behind it. And I really, I really like this um, this uh, Kronstein guy. Yeah, um, but he's not he's not as soon as he makes the plan he's he's out and then yeah. they do the surprise kill or whatever i mean if you've seen movies now you know he's the one that's <laughs> gonna die but but um but i really like that character and and it and it was a little upsetting that he's the one who ends up dying and then i hate i hate that in general where the the maniacal villain has to kill off his henchman just because i i don't of understand some it. weird failure or whatever i don't understand it and like like it, yeah i've never understood that and and here's the guy like everything worked according to plan except for the fact that grant fucked it up and now you're like i'm gonna kill i'm gonna kill this i'm gonna kill this main guy who came up with the plan so there you know and he's your smartest yeah. guy so and, yeah and that's the other thing he's i mean that dude like can't you just give him a slap on the wrist like maybe pay him a little less or something like i mean there's got to be something i I just don't know why because now you got to go train somebody else i mean yeah yeah. and and that's the other thing too like like you you know you make you you make a big deal about showing them in this training complex and everything and like they're showing they're showing them like this is you know they're obviously learning how to shoot and aim and all this and all this, it was apparently patterned after Spartacus, the one in Spartacus. Apparently, well, that. But I thought it was interesting because we start getting that with Q, right? Like when oh, I don't, remember, yeah, right, I don't remember the right. first one they do that, but Bond will go in there. I, I, I feel like I remember it more with Roger Moore. They might have done some with Connery, but Bond will go in there, and there'll just be people in the background, like mm-hmm. testing stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And and it's a sort of a thing they make fun of in Wayne's World, where mm-hmm. where uh, where um, Wayne goes into the uh, the little room at the uh, diner or whatever, and he, and there's like all these people training and helicopters and people going down did, and stuff. And like, did you I've understand? Always wanted to walk into, I've always wanted to walk into a room where a whole bunch of people are training to do stuff. <laughs> you know? Did you understand though the Spartacus thing? I, I hadn't seen Spartacus in so long. No, not really, but yeah. I'm assuming that there was some sort of, you know, uh like like overhead shot of a mon- guess, like, you yeah. know, people training and stuff like we've seen in so many movies before. Well, then but- I forgot to mention the helicopter. Well, it was re- I read somewhere where the helicopter or the plane scene was North by Northwest. Yeah. But then Terrence Young in the book he goes out of his way to be like, I was not copying Hitchcock. I don't even like Hitchcock very much. I was like, well, maybe you first, weren't, but somebody was. First off, nobody said you're copying Hitchcock, <laughs> asshole. You're they're 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 saying you're paying homage to it, and it's pretty clear the way that whole scene plays out. It's like North by Northwest, whether you saw that movie yeah. or not, or whether you were patterning yourself after that movie or not. Uh, that's what everybody's going to be thinking, especially considering there's the shot of Sean Connery running towards the screen and the helicopter's coming right towards him. Apparently, he's he's doing a lot of his own stunts in that shot too. By the way, and like it like got close to actually hurting him a couple of times shooting. Yeah, him and Shaw both. So our next thing we rank the gadgets, the gizmos. Now the only thing I really saw was that multi-purpose, the briefcase, right? was that yeah there's that that and it has multiple functions where they have the you know the you know the the gold uh, whatever it is what i don't remember what the it's like a some sort of currency that they have in there and there's a uh the way the briefcase is open Mm -hmm. one way the smoke doesn't happen and one way the smoke happens so uh, there's that, and then there is um, apparently something that's actually patterned after a real thing that Russians, uh, Russian agents used, which is the this is now this is not a Q thing, but mm-hmm. the the knife that comes out of the sh- oh, out yeah. of the boot, and and uh, you know you you know you hit them, and they've got a, there's a poison uh that is applied and of course you know they, they kill that Kronstein guy and it's like it took 12 seconds hopefully they'll find a faster acting poison at some point um <laughs> but that's the that's the only thing that i remember the, i mean I, after that it's the gun like they gave him mm-hmm. the ar7 uh, which is you know something that he has to assemble later on, mm-hmm. but the, but it's it, yeah nothing involving with uh you know cars or anything like that. It's all that briefcase, I believe, is pretty much it. Yeah, so this would for me this would be like probably like a two and a half. So I gave it yeah three. yeah it's it's a it's a three I'd say. Yeah. I mean, good. Uh, it's something that you know all Bond movies kind of do this. They find ways to make that. You have to. It's a checkoffs type of thing, yeah. right? They always show this, and there's always some situation where he can use it. And in this case, it's like, oh, so Grant really does like money, huh? You can get him <laughs> to open up the suitcase, um, and uh, and he'll have the smoke bomb. And then smoke bomb actually doesn't end up doing much in the end, right? Like, no, like it, it doesn't really do much to the fight because they end up having a marathon fight even after. The smoke gets in his face. I thought, for some reason, I thought, and this is something I guess I forgot during the movie, was 
I thought that smoke was like supposed to be some sort of poison gas that knocks yeah. you out or something. And then I was sitting there going, well, it can't be a poison gas, right? Because Bond is right there exactly. in the room. So they, they just made it a typical smoke bomb. And I'm like, okay, all right. Well, there you go. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. And then the last thing is the Bond song. Now, we do get our first official song. It is mm-hmm. played over the closing. I think it's played in the movie proper, but it's also played uh, over the closing closing credits. Uh, yeah. song called From Russia With Love. Um, I It it does absolutely nothing for me. Um, yeah, me I don't either. like, I guess I don't hate it, but like I just, it's just a song I, I you know, I listen to. Uh, and I, I don't think I listen to it that often because you know, if it's on the closing credits, I'll just stop the movie. So, uh, uh but yeah, the open- a, it's an odd thing, by the way, too. the way that like they did, they obviously didn't know because credits are different from what they mm-hmm. are today. Uh, they didn't know exactly what to do because they wanted to play a full like verse of that song, mm-hmm. but they had run out of credits by the time it got done. And so there's this whole section after the credits where the song just keeps playing and there's nothing going yeah. on yeah, except you see, you see uh, a backdrop of, uh, <laughs> I think it's in Greece or whatever, where they're at at the time. So and it, and it just sits there forever <laughs> while they get to the, Oh, let's find a good stopping point for this. We don't want to cut the song off or whatever. God, can you so, imagine like just sitting in a theater like watching oh, that yeah. picture of Greece? Right. I'm, I'm, I got to hear this song, but I give the song two out of five. I it's, I don't like the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm not a not a big fan of it either. It's not very memorable. So, uh, so what, I would d- give it. Were you at two as well? I would be a two. Yeah. yeah. It's not a one because a one would be like no. like you know uh, you'd because you ear damage or something. I guess is where I would put one. <laughs> I don't know. So. I'm, I'm, that's interesting. Will there be a one? I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't. I, I don't, doubt I don't, it. I don't. I don't think so. Uh, there'll be quite mm-hmm. a few twos, but uh, yes, there will be some I, twos. But next week, next week we get Shirley Bassey, our first Shirley. Oh. So that's, Die another day might might be in the running for a one. Oh my god! Is that Cheryl? No, this that's, is Madonna. It's Madonna. Yeah, that's bad. It's in the it's in the running. It's in the running. I'm not <laughs> saying it is a one, <laughs> but you're not. But wrong, when we get man. to Die Another Day, yeah. No, because yeah, I had I had completely forgotten about that song until because I don't I just I haven't rewatched the Brosnan ones very much at all. So I always forget what songs on which or who even did a song, but. I when we send when Ian and I send die another day, that came mm-hmm. on. And I was like, oh my god, I totally mm-hmm. forgot this existed. This yeah. is like just mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's so awful. bad, so bad. All right, so that so uh, yeah, so that's our rankings and our just kind of overall review of the film. Like we both liked it a lot. So uh, mm-hmm. once again, high 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 recommend it for some reason you're listening to this, and uh, and I uh, haven't seen it seen it yet. So. Um, so, all right. So our final segment is, uh, where we get into talking about, uh, I read the book. I've been reading these books as we're watching the movies and, uh, just talk about a little bit about the differences and stuff. And that is in a segment we like to call the spy who reads me. Reading is one of my very favorite things to do. Whoa, I'm not reading that crap. Summarize it in one word. Now you want to talk about reading. Let's talk about reading. How can you read this? There's no pictures. Cinema sins might have taught you that the book doesn't matter but for this segment we're willing to concede at least kind of does uh, i'm going to give you the nitty-gritty on what is similar to what you saw on the screen what is different and there will be plenty of what the hell was ian fleming smoking when he wrote this mm-hmm. so this book i actually don't have a ton to talk about really because i'll be honest like this book it's 
it's very similar. Like it, they, they, uh, they, you know, obviously we've already mentioned they, although they do mention Smirsh, they do mention mm-hmm. Smirsh because I think it's Kleb. Either she says I left Smirsh or somebody's talking about her. I can't, I can't remember now. I didn't, I didn't write it down, but, uh, I, I do know that, and I, I did not remember that for my past viewings, but I had not read the books at that time, so I might not have even known that Smirsh was a thing. So mm-hmm. I probably wasn't paying attention to it. So, But this is the fifth novel. This is the one that came out right before Dr. No, which is interesting because at the end of the movie, uh, he's fighting Kleb, with, and she's got the knife with the poison. In the book, it's the same thing, but she actually poisons him. Um, mm. it's, so it's like, it's a cliffhanger, um, mm. at the end of the, of the first book. I'm really glad they didn't do that here though. I have to say, I'm yeah. glad they didn't do it in the movie. Um, and then, but when you read Dr. No, <clears throat> all it says is that Bond has been recovering for the last two months. Like they don't, they don't explain how he saved <laughs> yeah. like how he beat the poison that only takes 12 seconds. You know, he's Bond, like, man. <laughs> well, it's like, uh, it's like, uh, this is way off topic and I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're good. But in the in the book misery mm-hmm. where you know where annie wilkes is telling him uh that she wants another one of these paul mm-hmm. sheldon novels or whatever it is and he killed off the character mm-hmm. in the last book and then he starts reading that there was some because he gets stung by bees i think is what the is the is the way he dies like he he just he finds out that there's some sort of bee toxin that makes it look like <laughs> That makes it seem like you're dead. So you're you really asleep. Up. I you're, forgot about but this. You're a, but you're asleep the whole time. So that's how <laughs> he ends up writing a new book oh my God. <laughs> for Annie and that whole thing. So anyway. Oh my God. I've totally forgot about that in the book. Mm. Um, but yeah. yeah. So uh, so the novel, the novel, what's interesting about the novel though is the where things happen is, is very different. Because we don't even like Bond is not even in the book. It's page seventy-two of the of the wow. paperback. If you've got that, I don't know what it is on like Kindle and stuff, but uh, yeah, Bond is not mentioned until page seventy-two. Like, oh, he's mentioned, but he didn't come up till then. the The first like six or seven chapters is um, just mainly it's just uh, part of it is Smurfs trying to figure out who they because the whole thing is they want to assassinate somebody that's gonna that's gonna it's gonna and they do this in the movie too. That's why they want to assassinate Bond, but. Mm-hmm. It, they have this whole section where they're talking about maybe they should kill M and then they just decide not to do that. But like, that's like three or four pages. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it just, there's all this kind of stuff. And then like the first chapter is Grant getting a massage. Like the entire first chapter is that massage scene. That's like maybe 10 seconds, you know, in mm-hmm. the movie or whatever yeah. is an entire chapter. Uh, and it's, it's also a little, little creepy. Uh, but, um, mm-hmm. uh, but Grant is set up a lot for the first part of the book. Like they really kind of set up his character, uh, like where he's from and, you know, talks about his childhood. He, and, and it's almost like they, it's almost like even those serial killer novels, I don't think were being written yet. I guess maybe the psychology could have been out there in some form or fashion, but the Grant character kind of sounds like somebody who's going to become a serial killer. They talk about how, when he was a child, he killed animals. And mm-hmm. then eventually that turned into he was killing, which I think they say like women of the night or whatever. So he's killing like prostitutes uh, and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and and realized that he really enjoyed killing. And then so he mm-hmm. just got he got good enough at it that they wanted to. Uh, do that. And speaking of the serial killer angle, when when people when the police actually catch on that there's somebody killing all these women, 
they even label him, they give him a name, the moon killer. So it's like even a serial killer kind of, kind of name. So you get to read about that for a couple chapters. Okay. Uh, and then, like I said, they're trying to figure out a person to assassinate because they want to get back in the quote unquote win column. Uh, okay. So they decide to go after Bond. They also mention uh, Bond causing them issues by taking out two of their top agents, which one of those is Le Shriff, which is the villain in Casino Royale. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Kananga or slash Mr. Big, because Live and Let Die is the second novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk about Kananga quite a bit here in a few weeks. Uh, there's also this really weird bit where there's like three or four paragraphs of the Smirsh agents kicking themselves for not thinking of Bond earlier. Like they're, they're all like all apologizing to each other. How could I forget Bond? And it's like, mm-hmm. why, why is this being written? Like, I don't understand yeah. this book. And people love this book, by the way. Like I was mm-hmm. reading a lot where this is the best of the books and blah, blah, blah. Because we're as the, the movie for much would love is better than Dr. No. I would definitely take the Dr. No book over this. And I've read Casino Royale. I would take that over this too. Mm-hmm. This book's just kind of just not a lot goes on. Uh, mm-hmm. for the first like half of the book. I think it's like 190 pages and it was probably like page 100 by the time things started getting set in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, the character of Rosa Klebb is a little different. Uh, she's she's described, typical Ian Fleming, the way he <laughs> talks about women. Uh, she's described as very like, uh, she, I, think, I think she's supposed to be like really big, but she's also supposed to be really short. So she's kind of like a, I don't know. I, he he almost describes her like she's a weeble wobble or something. Okay. Uh, okay. Like there's this one thing where Kronstein is sitting next to her and he, he, you like hear his thought, you're reading his thoughts and he says, the devil knows thought Kronstein what her breasts were like, but the bulge no. of uniform that rested on the tabletop looked like a badly packed sandbag. And oh in my. general, her figure with its big pear shaped hips could only be likened to a cello. <laughs> So, mm, mm, and mm. then also she's like a sexual predator. Well, not like a, she, she's kind of a predator because when she meets up with Tatiana, which there's a scene in the movie where she meets up with yeah, Tatiana. And very, going over very subtle. Yeah. Yeah. But in the book, I mean, it's full on. Like she, she like leaves the room for a second and she comes back in like a negligee and then she turns <laughs> the lights off and she's like, here, come sit on the couch by me, you know? And then I think mm-hmm. Tatiana just kind of runs away and then they never mention it again. But, uh, mm-hmm. it was, I don't know for like, I don't know that. I mean, I, I'm not like, I haven't read, I've read a lot of older novels, but I don't know how many novels I've read from the fifties and sixties, but like, I just, I don't, I feel like the serial killer stuff seems like kind of advanced. Like it's something that was book, more books would do later, but really weren't doing at the time. And then definitely that scene with Cleb and Tatiana just seemed more like something you would read like a couple decades later, you know? So mm. that was, uh, that was interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, when we get to Bond, he's very much like, do you remember like Captain Kirk at the beginning of Star Trek Beyond where he's just kind of like, he's just bored and pissed yeah. off because nothing exciting is happening? That's exactly mm-hmm. how Bond is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just kind of like, there hasn't there hasn't been anybody to go kill or or uh, there hadn't been any adventures to go on, which also makes the whole like the cipher machine thing so much more convenient because if he had just been on a mission, they wouldn't have been able to get him, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, yeah, it does make sense. Like, uh, like why he's so keen on getting into this particular mm-hmm. mission in the movie, exactly. Um, you know, and and that would have been kind of cool to to explore. But again, we're talking about a movie that 
obviously, even though it got had a bigger budget, it didn't have enough of it didn't have a great budget. Yeah. To like to like really just explore a lot of different things. So would have been nice though to see a little bit more motivation out of why he wanted to take this one so much. Although I guess he sees the picture of tatiana and that's what really sets it in motion <laughs> so that's you know i mean that's basically what the movie's saying he's just a horn dog so anyway yeah it's like i'll take a chance on this being a trap i don't care sure um, exactly so much like i talked about with the dr no book there's a lot more with bond and like quarrel and athens in the movie there's also a lot more in this book with bond and uh kareem than there is in the in the in the movie uh although i think it's i think they do agree i didn't i think it's perfect what they do in the movie but there's just like you know, there's just a lot of them when they first meet, they're just getting to know each other and mm-hmm. uh, talking. But it but it also, much like in the book, Dr. No, it makes Kareem's eventual death, just like it did Quarles, a little more a little more sad. And it, yeah. it like affects Bond more than it does in the movies, which I get why mm-hmm. they can't, you know, just keep that attention on that in the movie. I totally get it. But right uh but so that's kind of fun uh there is there's still the female fight club which is i'm calling (laughs) yep uh i'd forgotten that was in the movie so when i I read the book before i rewatched the movie and and when i was reading that i was like well this is something different and i and then i was like oh crap it's in the movie i didn't remember and those and those two (laughs) women were were also they always scouted the beauty content uh, pageants didn't they they always they got two uh uh, beauty queens there one was from jamaica who (laughs) I think also was supposed to be like tried out for Dr. No because that mo- that movie set there. And then there was another one who was another beauty contestant or whatever and was actually the roommate of of um uh, of Daniela Bianchi during the oh, Mission yeah, Universe yeah. I, I think that. something like that. She's in that too. But anyway, anyway, neither here nor there. Female Fight Club. <laughs> no, yes. yeah. It's just a it's a weird a weird scene in the book and they could have just left it out of the movie. It wouldn't have been a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bond and Tatiana, when they first meet, I thought it was interesting. That's almost word for word in the book. The The scene is a little longer in the book. Uh, he's he's not as quick to just start kissing her and stuff. Like there's a little more uh, foreplay or whatever before they, you know, mm-hmm. get involved. Uh, verbal mm-hmm. foreplay, I guess. But right. I thought it was even interesting. They even did the, the black ribbon around her neck and the stockings, which is focused on a lot in that scene in the book so mm-hmm. i was just like god they went into that i thought that was interesting yeah um there's also so <laughs> there's an interesting moment i thought like i said bond seems a little more sympathetic in the books than he does in the movies so far because there's a moment where when the people try to kill him the russians try to kill him during that at the female fight club thing and then they get away in the book and they kind of like re uh, bond and kareem and they regroup at one point and uh, so they can um, surprise the attackers when they come after them. And um, there's a, what is it? Did he actually kill one of them? I can't remember. Oh, and then they, and Bond has to kill one of the guys. And he actually makes a comment about killing in cold blood. He says mm-hmm. it's something he's never done. And he actually feels remorse for it. It's really interesting because hmm. I guess he just means like he's only killed people he's been assigned to kill. And he's never just, you know, just yeah. killed like, like, like I- intentionally killed somebody gotcha yeah so i thought that was interesting i i, I kind of like that aspect in the books that but but i oh, once again that's harder to portray in a movie and i know they have to they can't you know things have to be cut for movie reasons and i totally get mm-hmm. it but it's just you know it's just interesting to me and then i already mentioned bond is poisoned uh uh by kleb at the end of uh 
at the end of Dr. No. I mean, at, yeah, at the mm-hmm. end of Dr. No, Cleb poisons him. I mean, the end of From Russia with Love, sorry, Cleb poisons him. And then at the beginning of Dr. No, it's when you find out uh, I, I, he got the B serum or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> the B serum, yes. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, so that's that's all I have to say about the, uh, the book. Like I said, the book was pretty much... I mean, the movie doesn't really d- 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 uh, take away from... But, like, another thing, like, the way it's structured differently... That chess scene comes like in the middle of the book. Mm. And I love that they moved that because mm-hmm. I think that works really well because they have to set up, they, they just have to set up the villains in a way that they wouldn't have been able to do if they did it exactly the way the book did it. Or we just yeah. wouldn't meet them for like 45 minutes, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, that's a, I, I thought it was fine read uh i don't think i like it as much as most people seem to i was honestly uh bored which i don't typically get that bored reading so that's kind of mm-hmm. a that's kind of a shocker for me so uh but anyways uh so i guess i guess that's it for this week uh, all right all right thank you guys for joining us and listening to us and all that fun stuff and if you would like to get in touch with us you can reach us a few different ways you can email us at gold diamond death 007 at gmail.com you can also follow us on twitter at gold spy 007 and if you really like the podcast we would appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating and review on apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service you use we hope you will come back next week we will be talking about goldfinger yeah uh, goldfinger yeah I, I don't know why he's I, the man yes i didn't do the tune right at all that was terrible mm-hmm. well just just pay attention to what chris said <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's correct but uh mm-hmm. until then keep the martinis dry and shaken the baccarat shoe moving and the aston martin fully gas this is chris atkinson and jonathan watkins signing off and we'll see you next mission And I've weirdly seen all of his films except for one, I think. I haven't seen 31. I definitely have not seen most of his movies at this point. But, yeah, because there's... I've seen both Halloweens that he did. I've seen Devil's Rejects, Thousand Corpses, and Three from Hell. And I've seen the Lords of Salem, which that's the one that most people are like... That or Devil's Rejects are the ones that people are like, well, that's actually really good. I disagree. Although Lords of Salem might be his best by default, but it's still not very good. I do have an autograph from him, though, because, I mean, not I didn't meet him, but if you bought the Lords of Salem book that he also wrote, um, they he they sent you like a, like a card with his autograph on it that you could put in there, and somebody got that for me. I have seen House of a Thousand Corpses, which is more notable for the fact that I saw trailers for it for like three years, I believe. Oh yeah. It took forever. Um, the devil's rejects, which I still don't understand why people love. And then the two Halloween movies. And I haven't seen anything beyond I, that. I will tell you the devil's rejects. I know when I saw it, the, when it came out, I thought it was okay, but I think a lot of that had to do with, it was so much better than house of a thousand corpses in my opinion. And mm-hmm. I think, I think maybe that's what a lot of people took from it. We'll say and then this. I rewatched. Go ahead. Huh? Go ahead. I was gonna say I rewatched it because I went. I did the. I went to the Fathom events for 
for some reason, I don't remember why I wanted to do this, but they were showing that. And then they were showing three, then they were premiering three from hell and devil's rejects is pretty good for like the first half. But then it just, cause I'm sitting there, I was watching it going, well, this isn't bad. Like, no, this is okay. And then it gets to, I think it's where they start. Like they hold those people hostage in the hotel. If you remember that mm-hmm. the motel mm-hmm. and from there on, it's just, it's, it's, crap <laughs> it's just it's so bad i will say that this movie was a part of that long marathon in 2005 that was oh yeah it was the island it was bad news bears that movie and hustle and flow i watched them all in one night so there is a possibility that i was too tired to enjoy I, anything of Devil's yeah Matrix. i can't I think you've really got to be into his aesthetic though, to like that movie. And like, I just, I'm not so. Mm-hmm. And then he, and then he just did the same thing in Halloween. I read somebody was talking about Halloween the other day and they said something like they kind of dug the first half because he was doing his own thing with it. He wasn't just remaking it. But then that second half or like the last like 30 or 40 minutes is like John Carpenter's Halloween. You know, he's just remaking it all over the place because mm-hmm. he spent so much time on, young Michael and but I don't know if I would have liked that any better but that was an interesting point to make where it gets kind of it seems bizarre and then he even makes some brother and sister still which doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. in the context of that movie mm-hmm. so <sighs> I don't know I don't get it but you know I'm glad he has fans I was very excited when I heard about a thousand of a thousand corpses because I liked his music and I knew he was a big horror movie fan and I was like well that could translate that was before I realized Typically, the fans are the ones that aren't as good at making the movies, and I don't know why that is. Mm -hmm. Because, like, Wes Craven's not a horror fan really at all. John Carpenter's not even really a horror fan. Like, he was into westerns and action movies and, Mm -hmm. like, war movies and stuff and science fiction. Um, I don't know about Toby Hooper, but I feel like from what... I, I don't think he was really into horror either. I think he was... Him and Romero were kind of the... They can see... I don't know if you'd say political, but... They can see the, um other I, I think they can see the other angles beyond it mm-hmm. fans fans tend to focus on this is why this is why copies of movies that come out after big huge hits are never good um oh yeah fans of um fans of a, of a particular genre have a thing that they like about the they they can point to like like some people are like i love the gore so that's what they make they make mm-hmm. a gory movie and there's like no setup to it. People got to realize, just like telling jokes, like any you know, when you make any kind of art, you have to you have to build things up. You have to build it up. You have to pay it off. You have to do all that stuff. Yeah. And a lot of times, like if something come, you know, people try to copy something that was good, or they try to copy things that they like. That's what ends up happening is that they don't make their own. They don't do their own legwork to make those earned. So that's what happens. And that's why you had some, if that's why, you know, if, if that was really true, that Craven and Carpenter and Toby Hooper and all these people weren't really big horror fans, that meant they were trying to do their own thing and we're not trying to emulate others. Yeah. No, they weren't. And then their successes, their initial successes were horror movies. So that's kind of what they, you know, they ended up having to stick with, even though they tried I mean, Carpenter. That's the thing about Carpenter. Like he's considered a horror director, but like at least half of his filmography is not horror. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Wes Craven pretty much is. He's got a couple, but yeah, um, he's got that bullshit movie music. with Meryl Streep. <laughs> yeah, it was based on that. I don't remember if that movie's called Music of Chance or if that was, was the documentary. Yeah, it was uh, was it Music of the Heart? Was it called? I think that's right because that's based on a because there was a documentary about that teacher that Meryl Streep plays, mm-hmm. and there's I don't remember what the story is. I've actually never seen the movie. I haven't either. I just it didn't interest me. Oh, it was Columbine that delayed Scream 3. Because Scream 3 was supposed to come out, I think, in 99, or maybe it was 98. And then Columbine kind of, they had to change everything. Well, they was, also, was it uh, the, um, there's some the, school in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, there's all this, uh, Wes Craven is shooting Scream, a Scream movie in that. And I'm one, like, I'm trying to figure out what, if that, I mean, that was obviously after, that after Scream Three came out, I'm trying to remember if yeah, I'm trying to remember if they're saying it's Scream Four in that movie or if they're saying that Scream Three. I don't, I don't know. Remember. It's been a minute. Yeah, but Scream, but you know, Scream Three was supposed to take place in Woodsboro, and it was supposed to be high school kids again, and then Columbine happened, and it was like, oh, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. So, but they, but the Stab Three thing was still in that storyline. They were filming Stab Three in Woodsboro because the movie is called Return to Woodsboro. Mm-hmm. The Stab Three is called that. Mm-hmm. So you'd still have like probably all those characters, and Roman might have even still been one of the killers. I can't remember, but mm. I know it was supposed to be like a cult, and that was the cult was led by Matthew Lillard. Like you find out Stu's still alive. Which they kind of teased in, in the last scream with those uh, the internet stuff. Like off to the side, it said, "Is Stu Mocker still alive?" Yeah. So I still can't believe they would bring that back, since that's pretty well known that that was the idea. I don't know why they would. Mm. Who, who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. Have you seen the Final Girls with Malin Ackerman and? Mm-mm. That's a movie that's like basically it's kind of like it's making fun of. Um, it's kind of making fun of slasher movies, but it's uh, Malin Ackerman plays this actress that gets killed in a car wreck with her daughter. Her daughter's played by, uh, is it Thaisa Formiga, the younger oh, one, yeah, the yeah. sister? Yeah. And, uh, but her mother, May- Malin Ackerman, she was in these two like pretty popular like Friday the 13th type movies. Mm-hmm. And so they're having a, uh, they're having like a, re- a reunion, like they're having a 20th year screening or something. And, um, they get her to go. They get Taisa Famika to go to like because they thought that'd be cool to have her, you know, the daughter of this person. And then I can't remember what like there's a fire or something. And then her and her friends like end up in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just kind of it's like it's like people from like the 2000s like trying to survive and understand an 80s slasher movie. And it's actually <laughs> really, it's really well done. And it's really, um, it actually gets really touching because she also gets to interact with her mom but it's her mom but it's her mom's character mm-hmm. in the movie <laughs> so it's oh, just i don't know it's interesting yeah it's 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 uh i i recommend it i think it's probably pretty easy to find i don't remember when it came out you brought up friday the 13th and it's like that that remake that came out i couldn't help but think think of that sex scene that's in that movie because oh. I, I it's the weirdest thing like first off look I love Juliana Gill, and I'm I'm happy she oh, yeah. did that scene. But uh, it's such a bad. It's so bad. That scene is so bad. Like, it feels it feels super sleazy. It's really sleazy. Like it's yeah. like why did she agree to have sex with this dude? Like I'm sitting. I'm like, yeah. there's no. First off, there's no chemistry between the two, 
And nah. everything he says, she's like, kind of like, yeah, whatever, man. You know, like, let's get on <laughs> with this. You know, and, and, and he's like, you've got perfect nipple placement, baby. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is this scene? <laughs> I want. I wonder if that's in the script. I never have looked. Oh that my up. god, he- dude, that's something we do need to look up because because it, it feels like. The director just basically said, just be a fucking horn dog. Be a sleaze ass the whole time. And I've never seen the director's cut, but apparently that scene's even longer. Really? Which I'm like, I can't even imagine that going longer. <laughs> well, that's like, there's a sex scene in part five uh, that is like really quick. Like it's super quick. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but apparently they, had, the guy, because Danny Steinman directed part five and he was a porn director before that. Mm-hmm. And so he directed like it was like a six or seven minute like Damn. sex scene. Jeez. Yeah, I don't think they were really having sex. I don't know. Maybe they were. I doubt it though because it was a Paramount, you know, picture film. But um, but but there's but then it got cut to like because the MPA was so hard on the Friday the Thirteenth movies and any horror movies at that time. Mm-hmm. So it get it gets cut to like thirty seconds. And the actor that plays the dude, he was on one of those. Do- he was on the Crystal Lake Memories documentary, and he's like. That was really that was really unfortunate to see my character like because he said it changed it to where it looked like his character only lasted like thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, my friends let me have it for quite a while. I uh, imagine so. <laughs> As well, they should. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.